Well, hello, everyone. Good to see you. Yeah, everybody's in a great mood. I love this. Uh, I have some announcements for you. Mine will be interesting. Oh, just kidding. All right, here we go. Here we go. I got stuff that you want to know. All right. Everyone keeps asking, when are we going to move, right? And then all you get up here is just weird, creepy, I don't know, I don't know, right? That, that should be very unsettling for you. Anyway, it is for me. So here's the deal. I don't know, right? Okay. Here's, here's the funny part about it. We know when we're moving out. We got a move out date. Yeah. Woo. Be nice to have that move in part along with it. So here's the deal. So we are moving out next weekend is our last weekend here next weekend. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I don't know where we're going. Praise God. Okay. Fantastic. But we are not going to be here. Okay. Now, what that means is a couple different things. Uh, one of the things is I really want everyone here next week because this is our last time to kind of thank the Lord for this place. I personally love this campus. I love the sanctuary. I've seen so much life transformation happen here. I have a lot of memories associated with, with this room and with this whole entire campus. Uh, when we moved out of the other side, uh, that was one thing of going, man, in my office, I saw a lot of lives touched there. We moved out. Now we're going to be letting this one go. And so I would love to have our whole family here for our last weekend in this spot before we move to the next one. So a couple things, whoever is currently praying for our temporary certificate of occupancy, you're lame. Okay, so just letting you know, all right? So you need to pray better because it's not working. So here's what we're waiting for. We need our TCO, Temporary Certificate of Occupancy, in order to move into the new place. We had uh, inspectors, eight of them, out this last week to tell us whether or not we were going to get that. That's why we haven't been able to tell you where, when we're moving in. We know when we're moving out, and that is because we cannot afford one more payment another month of being here that's killing us we were never designed to be here this long so uh, we're trying financially to kind of make everything work out that also leads me to this I will be giving you a full financial update on our new home and how all the process is working out next week so I need you to be there for that um, and I would like all of you to kind of prepare your hearts uh, to be able to hear two things. One is uh, the challenges that our new home is way more expensive than we ever uh, had expected. And so I'm going to talk through all that. And that means that you're going to kind of pray through it and say, Lord, what does that mean? Because he has the solution to it. It's all here. We just don't know exactly where it is or who has it. So if you have that solution, I need you to come talk to me. The other thing that we're going to be talking about is the miracles. All the miracles that we have seen throughout this process, and I'm using miracles in a broad sense, uh, there's been a lot of incredible things that God has done along the way. So while we share with you some of the challenges, we're going to share with you some of the pretty awesome things God did behind the scenes. So all of that will be presented out to you next week. Um, but what I wanted to talk about a little bit is that our plan is we have to get out of here if they will not let us in to our new place. We have one week where we have an option to go to Jessup. 
So we're going to let you know we'd much rather be in our new place rather than being over at Jessup temporarily. But then they have already a scheduled uh, something going on the following weekend. So where we're going to be that weekend, I have no idea. So be praying more. All right. We might be out on the dirt out there with with nothing going on. So that and that'd be completely fine. I found that the Lord works on very small margins. Have you noticed this where God's like, oh, I could tell you now, but I'm not until the very last second. So he does that a lot. We're going to talk a little bit more about why. Um, So let me say a couple other things. I want to set our expectations about walking into our new home. Um, For me, just being able to be on the campus and look around and go, this is ours now. That to me, that's a huge answer to prayer. And I just walk around thankful the entire time. But it's going to be different initially than it is here. Why? Construction will not be complete when we move in. We need to know that there's more stuff that's going to be going on, but all the important stuff we need for our certificates has to be done. All the other stuff we're still working on. That also means that we have to take everything out of here and move it there. So you can tell we're pulling out the lighting and we're pulling out all this stuff. That's why the atmosphere seems a little bit different. But I need us to understand we're renting and bringing in a sound system. We're going to play church in a box for a little while. You cannot set up your lighting and your sound if there's construction dust going on in the air. It'll ruin what you're putting up. So that means we have to finish construction. Then we can put in our stuff that makes the atmosphere. At the end of each Sunday services, we're going to move all the chairs out because they're going to be moving lifts all over the place. There's still a lot to do in the ceilings. So when you walk in... Just be thankful that the Lord has a place for us and with and and just realize, you know what? We're a family. It's not a big deal. So what if there's not, you know, some nicer lighting? We can we can all just hang out together. It's not the end of the world. But I want to kind of set the expectations on how long these things take. All right. In order to get done. Um, We're not going to do the grand opening to the community until the fall. We want to make sure to work out all our bugs before we invite our friends And so we're going to all be in as a family and enjoy it. But really, we got to wait to reach out to the community until we get into the fall. And then uh, finally, um, we need volunteers to move our stuff. Right. And, And when I say volunteers, I mean family members. We have to move our stuff. Everything in this building has got to go from here to there. And so that's going to require bodies. Now, we have a bunch of you that have already been killing it and breaking your back, moving stuff. I would just want for a moment to thank all of the teams that have already moved us as much as they have. Absolutely awesome. Tirelessly working around the clock, getting us moved. Now, on our final weekend, we will be moving out immediately after the second service on the 29th of May. We need all the help we can get on the 29th, the 30th, and the 31st. We cannot leave anything in this building past that date or we have to pay rent for the following month. Does that make sense? So we need able-bodied. I have realized that in this church, there are a number of women here that go to the gym. And I've noticed that they all can out bench press me. So the whole idea that this is just a dude thing is not right. All right. So most of the women are stronger than I am. So if you are an able-bodied person and you can 
move stuff. Uh, we really need you on those dates. Outside in our lobby at our Connection Center, we're ready to sign you up for all different shifts. We got stuff that'll work with your schedule, and if you can do this day but not this day, and this time but not this time, they'll accommodate you. But we do need all hands on deck to be able to physically move us out of this building into the new one. Um, anything else I can't, I'm, I think I got it all nailed down. So what I want to do is I just want to pray over the move process. All right, let's just pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, you know the right timings. You know exactly what needs to occur, and you already had it in mind a long time ago. Therefore, we trust you. We know that anything that you want done will get done. But God, I'm praying for a protection over our teams as they're moving. Lord, we have the possibility of hurting ourselves in our rush to try to get out. And Lord, we need to be good stewards of our bodies. So I'm just praying that you would give us angelic help. I'm praying that you would just protect our bodies and keep us strong. I'm praying, Lord, that it would be a blast. Just laughter and joy and fun. And, and Lord, that it's just camaraderie. It's just us being together, doing what we do. And it's all because of your kindness, your miraculous nature. It's all because of your grace and your love. We feel spoiled under your care. Be glorified and praised in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Woo! All right, let's shift into our time in the Word today. Would you take out your Bibles? If you don't have one, there's one under the seat in front of you. We are going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We are in part 5 of our God Meets World series through this book. We're going to go through it line by line. And I wanted to kind of dig in deep into this very famous passage. You would know this passage either from BSF or maybe intense study on your own or simply the musical group, The Birds. All right. So in everything, turn, 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 right? There is a season. Yeah. And so my daughter said, Dad, what you should do is sing that song. And I said, heck no. All right, so anyway, I'm not going to harm you like that, so I'm not going to be singing. All right, so we're going to dive into this very, very famous passage and understand maybe what God is saying to us underneath all of these words. And I want to begin with some pretty uh, kind of thoughts that we just need to camp on for a moment. If you take notes, this would be a great time to take some notes. I'm going to also draw your attention to the fill in the blank on the handout sheet that was given to you. There's pens in the seat in front of you. You could grab some of those. But I, I want to begin with this. I can't think of any time in history that a culture has been more divorced from nature. I can't think of a nation outside of Europe that is more divorced from nature than America. And, and, and what I mean is that we are in this technologically advanced, we move around from one biodome to the next, and I, of all people, am the chief of not knowing nature, not engaging with nature, not even being around it, right? I mean, I went in the other day to the dermatologist, and she said, do you wear sunscreen? And I said, why? <laughs> why would I possibly do that? Wouldn't one have to engage the sun? 
in order to have to wear sunscreen. So anyway, I basically get in one little bubble in from my house to get into my bubble in my car, get into a bubble at work, and then do the back the thing all the way back home. And and thank the Lord there's drive through. Right. Otherwise, I would have to get out of my car and go into the restaurant bubble. So anyway, I can stay in my bubble. So I'm not around nature very much at all. And so I probably shouldn't be talking about this. But since I read books, I'll talk about it anyway. All right. So the rest of you will go. Yeah, I know that by experience. Right. That'll be beautiful for you. I don't have that. But I want to say this. Nature reflects God more than an industrial, technological, and information-driven world. Nature is closer to God's original design than the designs of his people. Why? It's good what we made. It's just we are one generation removed from God. So God makes us and nature, and then we make stuff. But if we want to get back to what God is like, we're going to see it much more in the stuff he created initially than what we have made right now. I'll kind of get into that a little bit. It doesn't mean that what we created was wrong and bad. It's only saying that if you want to know the master's heart, his passion, his vision, his style, his groove, his intent, then you need to go back to his initial handiwork, and that's found in nature. So I want to share with you just three things about nature that I think are important to understand for our subject matter, as well as just understanding the nature of God. So I'm going to kind of get into that. Number one, if you want to write these down, number one, nature is cyclical. Nature is cyclical. It has systems or patterns. It it kind of goes the same way. It's so consistent that there was actually an argument in history that said God is merely a beautiful watchmaker who designed a finely tuned system and then walked away. That was actually an argument. Now, I don't believe that. I don't think that is accurate. I think that God is very involved in his creation just because he has extraordinary patterns and systems and cycles doesn't mean he's not involved. But make no mistake, there are patterns of nature. There are things going on that God was able to launch into motion and keep moving systematically and they can be kind of tracked on. Right. I mean, we all know this. We've all had to have some type of, you know, whether it's biology or some type of science going through school. We get this stuff. But perhaps one of the most amazing elements of understanding our world that catches my attention. First of all, I don't like math. This is the only kind of math I like is that there's a part of science and math that absolutely fascinates me, and it's called chaotic mathematics. Chaotic mathematics builds off two concepts. One of the concepts is called the butterfly effect. I don't know if you've ever heard of this phrase, but it all comes from a, uh, a 19, I believe it was 1972 article that a guy wrote, and it was called, Does the Flap of a Butterfly's Wings in Brazil Set Off a Tornado in Texas? He was the guy that really got this thing started. His name is Edward Lorenz. When he wrote that, what he meant was even the slightest of movements. A butterfly's wings are so light, but yet they send reverberating effects throughout the ecosystem of our world, and it has ramifications. It's kind of like what you would think of as a ripple effect when you drop it in the water and it goes out, but it's more more highly tuned. 
So it takes that concept and then it also adds in the fact that there are systems that are so complex in our world, we can't track on their patterns. Let's say there is a system that operates every 32,000 years. Well, how are you going to know that? You don't have enough data by which to understand when the next one's going to occur. And the reason why I find this so fascinating is because it speaks to the God that I know. Our God is so infinitely, infinitely brilliant, creative, intelligent, that he has systems going you can't even track. But it doesn't mean they're not systems. He has patterns that you won't pick up on, but that doesn't mean they're not patterns. He has plans in play that you would never figure out in your wildest dreams. But as C.S. Lewis said, the, the most popular word on the first day of heaven will be aha. Right? You'll finally get it from his point of view and you'll go, oh, I get it now. So I believe in that concept of chaotic mathematics. But, but we are Christians, so let me add one more piece to it. There are not simply patterns. There are also miracles. Now, if we're going to go with the most stringent definition of miracle, a miracle is when God violates his patterns. He inserts something into it. There is an anomaly. There is an oddity. It's not normal. It's not right. Now, I would suggest to you, if we're using that definition, there are a lot of bizarre and beautiful things that we look at and call miracles, but they're not technically miracles. Anytime it's a pattern, then it's, it's, it's not technically a miracle per se. But there are times when miracles do occur. For example, the virgin birth. That is not a pattern. There are not a whole bunch of virgins waiting to bring in the Son of God. That's not going to happen again. That's not something that we're waiting for again. Therefore, it is an insertion into the system of the normal way to have babies and the normal babies that are made. This was a complete anomaly. The Son of God came into our world through a woman that had not yet known a man. That is an anomaly. All right. So, number one, nature is cyclical. Number two, nature is slow. Nature is slow. One of my favorite analogies of this is to see the smooth rocks under a waterfall, right? And the reason why that's so powerful to me is if you go take a jagged rock in your hand, go hold it under the faucet and wait, right? How long are you going to be sitting there until you're bored out of your mind, right? Because you're not going to see any change. And God is patient enough to hold it there for thousands of years and watch it be formed. That's the God that we serve. Nature is slow. God is slow. The problem with that is you can't fast cook transformation or maturity, which is exactly what our culture wants us to do. Everything in our culture is speeding up, but God. And our expectations are always that we should get it now. We should get it fast. Everything should be efficient. Can't we just go? God isn't buying into any of it. God said, hold on. For thousands of years, I have done certain things. Now suddenly you all think it's cool to do everything fast. I don't think it's cool. I'm going to do what I do. I'm not adjusting to your modern day concepts 
But what that does is it makes us very frustrated and we think something's wrong. Uh, Come on, man, Lord, I've been praying about this and I've been involved and I feel like I'm spinning my wheels for like three years now. I'm sorry, did you say three years? I I almost thought you said 30,000 years, but I I don't know. I'm not quite sure what you said. Oh, it was three years. Did you? Was that frustrating for you? Okay, he operates on a completely different timeline. Because he is not interested in efficiency, he's interested in effectiveness. And he knows how to be effective, right? Number three, nature is harsh sometimes, is it not? Nature is harsh sometimes. Whether you want to talk about tornadoes, or you want to talk about hurricanes, you want to talk about tsunamis and, and earthquakes and all this stuff. I mean, we look at that and we go, man. And, and, and scientists will say, you know, Mother Nature, she has no concern for anyone and blah, blah, blah. And they'll, they'll say all this dramatic stuff. All I, all I want to say is that perhaps there's no other element of nature more challenging to our modern American senses than the harshness of nature. When really, really hardcore things happen and we go, wow, that caused a lot of pain, right? We don't know what to do with it. And yet we certainly don't like associating it with God, that God's involved in that. We don't like that. And yet if you look through the Old Testament, you're going to read things that don't line up with your whole buddy Jesus concept. You understand what I'm saying? There's stuff in there that's going to offend you. Anytime the Bible offends you, you don't understand God very well. It happens to me all the time. (laughs) Okay, I mean, there's so much stuff that I'm looking at and I'm like, really, God, that is ridiculous. No way. Okay, it happens to all of us because we don't fully have our minds wrapped around God. And I don't think that we can. That's why we have to trust. There's a lot of things that seem to us to be brutal, unfeeling and downright mean. But is that true? Is God really unfeeling and mean? The answer to that is no, he's not. God is good, period. Therefore, just because that's how we think of it doesn't mean that's, that it's accurate. From his perspective, it aligns beautifully with his nature. And if we knew what he knew, we would agree. Deuteronomy thirty-two, thirty-five: there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. Somehow we got to wrap our minds around that God. God built a world for us to live in. Now, I understand that evolutionists and some scientists would suggest that is incorrect. They would say that we are uh, uh, an add-on to this world. The world was doing fine, then suddenly we showed up on accident, stuff like that. The Bible says otherwise. The Bible says that we are the pinnacle of God's creation and that it was all a setup for mankind to be here. That means that there's something going on in the world around us that's supposed to teach us and we're supposed to interact with. I call that the rhythms of nature. We're supposed to interact with that stuff. Now, we have kind of wrecked God's stuff. Would you agree with that? I mean, we're not doing really good with it. We were supposed to have dominion and we ended up doing a marring. I'm not sure we're doing real hot on that, okay? But even with all the distortion around us, God still has lessons showing up everywhere in nature around us it is no mistake that even though jesus christ was in the middle east and he came as a middle eastern man a lot of his analogies were agricultural a lot of his analogies were nature-based a lot of his analogies were to call out creation around him and say it's been trying to teach you the whole time you're not listening 
So what I would like to do is focus on that for today. Would you take a look at the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you? It's this rhythms of life are natural and good. Rhythms of life are natural and good. The good part is what we have a hard time with. But rhythms of life, it's kind of how stuff's supposed to go. And even though our culture wants to focus on this, we need to get our heads back in the game and begin to realize God is trying to tell us something. Okay, two quick disclaimers and then we'll dive into God's word. First one is this. I want you to remember that Ecclesiastes, like Proverbs, is a book of wisdom. It is not a preachy book. It is not a book that you're supposed to go out and apply to your life. It's saying these are probabilities, not promises. Saying that if everything goes the same way, this is going to be your outcome. It's not trying to say this is what you should do. It doesn't even comment a whole lot on the morality of the situation. It's merely calling it as it sees it. As the author is writing at Ecclesiastes, he's going to say, as I'm looking around the world, I'm just telling you how it is. You may not like it. You may have a bunch of different views on how God should do it different. I'm just telling you what it is. If we do not remember that and we begin to try to apply that, there's a phrase in there that says there's a time to love and a time to hate. Well, if you immediately try to apply that to your life, well, I hate you because God said I should. That sounds weird, right? We have to get our heads back into the game. All right. The other disclaimer is simply this. Normally, the way I'm teaching Ecclesiastes is that I look I just let the depressing book be depressing. Right. And I and I leave it at the beginning. And at the end, I go, yeah, but Jesus said and then we all go and we all get excited because he's merely commenting on the nature systems. I'm just going to integrate Jesus Christ and his thoughts all the way through it. So it'll be a bit more streamlined. All right. All right. Let's turn there to Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse one. It begins with three critical points to steer us for everything. There is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Three key points right there sets a trajectory. Did you see it? Here's the first one. It says, for everything there is a season. That word season refers to duration, to length, to a fixed time, to a predetermined purpose. For everything in our universe, there is a duration, a period of time, and a purpose. You may not like the purpose. You may not agree with the purpose. You may not understand the purpose, but there is a purpose nonetheless. It may be bad, it may be good, but it was for a purpose. So everything in life has also a season to it. There is a beginning and there is an ending to it. I think sometimes we don't recognize this and we think that whatever we're experiencing right now is our new normal, right? So for example, we have traumatic loss in our lives. We are devastated and we feel like everything we do hurts. Breathing hurts walking hurts and we can't see anything outside of our pain and we feel like i can't go on feeling like this forever what's intriguing is you will not there is a season and although you will have scars although you will have hurting hurting memories the sting goes away and there is a transference into a new season 
I remember talking to my counselor one time, and I said, we were talking about uh, panic attacks and anxiety attacks, and she was talking about remaining in that place, and I said, uh, and I, and I, said I cannot receive the idea that I would be there for too long. My, my body will just split in half. I can't, I can't handle that. And she said, well, I want you to think about it like this. You know how when you were little and you w- it ran into the ocean and it was so freezing? But when you're in the water, your body acclimated and eventually it wasn't so freezing anymore. Just remember that there are systems and your body is beginning to compensate and everything is adjusting and God's at work. It won't always be like this. Second thing that you should see is it says there is a time. That word is not chronos in Greek. And you say, well, I thought this was in Hebrew. You're right, but there is a Greek version of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. It is not chronos as in what time is it on my watch. It is, man, we had a great time. There's a, there, it has meaning to it. There's a moment in time where you go, wow, this is significant. And in other words, for everything, there is a moment in time that it's valuable. And then it may cease to be valuable. All right. And then finally, it says for every matter, what? Under heaven. That's different. He says one phrase a whole bunch. Do you remember what it is? It's under the sun. So he always says, well, everything's vanity under the sun. And he always says under the sun, under the sun. Now all of a sudden he says under heaven. Is that important? Yes. Why? Because when he says under the sun, he means a world without God. He means our universe from a humanistic perspective. When he says under heaven, he's now linking God's dwelling place to it. And what that would mean simply is considering everything under God's rule. We now have a positive part to this saying that our God is in charge. Our God knows what's going on and he's watching. In that world where God reigns, there are still systems and patterns. So real quick, I would just share this thought. God is watching and he sees things. Can we all agree that nothing ever catches God by surprise? Can we agree on that? I mean, without getting into a big debate, I don't think there's ever a time where God's going, what? Man, I never even I never even thought of that, right? He always knows. All right, let's go to the next portion, verses two and three. There is a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted or uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. All right. Once again, let us enter into this concept that we are not talking about predestination versus free will. We're merely saying God knows. We can get into the other stuff later. Right now, God knows and God is involved. But let's take this concept of a time to be born, a time to die. Every one of us have a limited time on this earth. Agreed? How do we know that? Well, because everyone so far has died. Yeah? I mean, other than two guys in the Bible, we pretty much have 100% on the death thing. So no one lives on this world forever. So therefore, we have a limited amount of time. Some of us, it's longer. Some of us, it's shorter. Here's the only thing I need you to understand. Your length of stay on this planet has nothing to do with God's love. 
merely his purposes. Let me say that again. Your length of stay on this earth has nothing to do with God's love, but his purposes. Because let's let's play it this way. I think we could have a pretty good argument about what is more loving that God leaves us here or God takes us. You understand what I mean? So I don't think we need to get into the whole, does God love me? It's got nothing to do with that. Of course God loves you. The length of time merely speaks to his purposes. What is he trying to accomplish? And once that accomplishment is done, we move forward. That's how it works. Okay? Because a lot of times when we have loss, we feel abandoned by God. Or we feel like God was unloving. God, how could you do this? They were so young. Right? Meaning, God, how could you be so unloving? And you go, whoa, 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 hold on. This has nothing to do with my love. This has to do with my purposes. And that's different. Now, you can argue with his purposes. And I'm sure that any time we're disappointed, we will do that. Right? All right. But maybe the, the most intriguing part about that passage to me is all the agricultural references. The time to root up and the time to plant and all that stuff. I find that stuff really, really interesting. Recently, uh, my buddy Banning Liebscher wrote a book called Rooted. And Rooted is uh, simply a book on discipleship. It's simply a book of God knows what he's doing. Let him plant you. Let him feed you and and just grow up in him. I mean, it's not really dramatic. It's just a a, a well-written, simplified discipleship kind of guide. It's called Rooted. It has a picture of a tree on the cover. Well, he had a couple interesting things to say in there. One of the lines he said that I think we need to allow to settle in our spirit is this. Fruit comes at the end of a very long process. Now, let's just think nature. How much stuff has to occur before fruit occurs, right? I mean, everything from the little seed guy, and then he grows up, and then he has to become a tree, and then he has to be healthy. You know what I'm saying? Fruit comes way later. So God kind of puts stuff in the hopper way back here, and we're sowing, sowing, sowing. You don't reap till far later. But all that stuff violates us. Why? Because we do something good, and we want an instant response. Well, you know what? I finally turned my life around. How come everything is still bad? You're right. You just turn your life around, but there's this whole tidal wave of consequence that is still going forward. Now, as you keep making good decisions, it calms the wave down and eventually the wave will dissipate. But let's be very clear. There's a pattern here. Just because you made a good decision. All right, God, you should take away all my consequence. That's not how he likes to work. Has he done that miraculously for some? Yes. As I've shared with you before, most everyone, I would say 95% of people I've ever engaged with with drug addiction had to walk it out slowly. 5% had a miraculous, it all went away, I'm all good now, everything is good in one day. Okay, that's very rare. Why? Because you don't own it. God wants you to walk it out like you walked it in. And he wants you to own it and take the land so that you're always free. Anyway, that's a whole different (laughs) message, right? But here's my point. Just talking about how stuff grows. Let Let me remind you of the process. A seed is put into the ground. It's watered. Then the seed breaks open and starts to put roots down. Did you know that a plant grows down before it grows up? That's deep right there. Right. Because we're all little plants of God. 
God goes deep before he goes up, right? You can't even see anything yet. Then it breaks upward through the ground to get air and sunlight. What I did not know as I was studying this, and I went through and started doing some research online, and every website I went to, I made sure it said four kids, right? <laughs> because I'm like, listen, if you're going to tell me something brilliant, I'm probably not going to follow you. So let's just go ahead like PBS Kids or whatever, you know, and just grab something simple. And so I'm tracking on this. Here's what I didn't know. That when you plant a seed, the seed first lives off its little built-in support system. So he doesn't have any way to get anything yet. He's like, I'm down here in the dark. I can't get anything. He's living off his little womb, which is fascinating because in that website, they referred to the seed as an embryo, which I thought was fascinating. He's got a little inside womb gig. And then at some point, he's responsible to get his own stuff. So he breaks out and he's like, yes, I got sunlight. I got this. And then he doesn't have to rely on his little womb stuff. Now, why is that so important? Because it's like every baby Christian. When Jesus Christ has his Holy Spirit come upon you and rescue you and save you, he puts a whole bunch of like a little nutrient, nutrient pack around you. And you're like, yes, I totally love God. Everything, this is awesome. I totally understand grace. I feel forgiven. I feel fresh. I feel awesome. Yeah. And then one day you just suddenly feel abandoned. Yeah. And you're like, hey, I thought this was all supposed to go well for me. Why is everything so hard? He's like, well, your nutrient pack ran out. Now you got to get your own stuff. And his whole point is that you need to start making roots. You need to start growing up. And that is all part of a loving process. It's not abandonment. It's just part of the process, right? All right, let's keep going. So we think roots are a big deal. I think roots are a big deal. It's kind of what I want to talk about. So what do they do? Ultimately, they do three things. They get water, they get nutrients, and they anchor the plant, right? So the plant just doesn't fall over. All right, cool. What was interesting, and Banning pointed this out, the rules of foundation are that the foundation always needs to be bigger than the thing it's supporting. The foundation always needs to be bigger than the thing it's supporting. You all know how buildings are made, skyscrapers? Before you go up, you got to dig down, and you better make it solid. You all know the Leaning Tower of Pisa? That's what happens when you don't have a solid foundation. I've been there, seen it. I, that's a mistake. Right? And we all, oh, it's super cool. It's not cool when it falls over on somebody. Right? So here's what's intriguing to me about roots, what I found out. So they need water, they need oxygen, and they need room to keep growing. This is fascinating. The number one reason why plants or trees stop growing is hard pan. What's hard pan? Hard pan means you can't go any deeper because it's too hard to get your little roots in. All right, are we all seeing the sermon illustration there? Here we go. Is it possible the reason we stop spiritually growing is because we have too much hardness in our heart and there's nowhere else for God to go? Y'all tracking with me? Because if the roots can't go, then they either, by God's grace, will go sideways or they don't go anywhere at all. Why do we stop growing? Hard hearts. There's nowhere else for God to go. So, conditions matter right soil water temperature sunlight right conditions matter so let me ask you this question what are the appropriate conditions for a christian to grow you and i have no idea you don't know 
I don't know. God knows. The master architect, the incredible agriculturalist, right? He knows what conditions are necessary to grow what he's trying to grow. You go, well, what's he trying to grow? Ephesians 2.10 says, God created us in Christ Jesus to do good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. You don't even know what that is. But whatever it is, whatever he's trying to build, whatever fruit he's trying to make, he knows how to make it. So we have to have an awful lot of patience, an awful lot of trust, an awful lot of faith and hope to say, God, you better know what you're doing. Because right now, the way you're going, I'm not going to make anything. Hold on. He's working on his time frame. He knows what he's doing. He says there's a time to kill and heal. No matter what that means, and a lot of scholars don't know what most of these mean, it is the ending of life and the preserving of life. He said there's a time for breaking down and building up. I've shared this with you before. I'll share it very quickly. One of the most brilliant concepts I ever heard on this was through a leadership summit. And the gentleman explained that every one of our systems in our body works off the same concept, stress and rest. And just as you hear the little beep, 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 that is stress and rest. The spikes are stress. The troughs are rest. Everything operates that way. Our brains operate that way. Our heart operates that way. Our muscles operate that way. All of it. Why? That's how we were built. So there needs to be a time of pushing it and a time of backing off and restoring. If either one of those are missing, it's called a flat line. Flat lines are not good. It moves on. Verse four. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. Let's just stop right there. What is the difference between those four or those two couplets? One is private and one is public, right? Sometimes there's a season in your life that is private that no one can see. It's just going on with you. And sometimes there's a season that's out in front of everybody else, but it's still just a season. Did you notice that this is a poem? That the way that he orchestrates it was he used... 14 of them. Why? Because that's two times seven. Seven in Hebrew is the number of perfection of God. And he's saying totality. If I'm looking across the entire universe, this is how I see God working. It says a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stone together. Time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. One Good to see. I also have some announcements and uh, these will actually be interesting. Oh, wait. Oh, I'm just kidding. All right, here we go. Uh, A couple things I wanted to share with you. You keep hearing that we are moving, yet no one has ever actually suggested a move date. Have you noticed that? How weird. And now the reason is, is because we simply don't know. Now, I do have some firm information for you. We have a move-out date. All right, praise God, right? So we have a move-out date. Uh, and the last weekend we are going to be in this building is next weekend. The last time we will be as a family in this sanctuary, on this campus, 
will be next weekend. You say, but pastor, don't we need to go somewhere? I totally agree. Where that's going to be is really up to the Lord because uh, we do not yet have our TCO. And you go, what is that? Let me explain what a temporary certificate of occupancy is. Whoever is praying for that, you're doing a lousy job. Okay, just letting you know right off the bat, all right? So it's clear. Uh, The temporary certificate of occupancy allows us to move in. If after 30 days we do not meet all the requirements, we then have to move back out. But let's not talk about that yet. The, the point is that we've had inspectors all this week coming in, and we've been waiting on them to give us a firm date. We do know for sure we cannot afford to stay here. So we will be out. Now, we are planning on being in the new place. That would be awesome. Uh, however, we have one week that is going to allow us a flex week that we would possibly be in Jessup across the freeway. We will let you know as we get closer and we'll notify you where you should attend church, all right? Um, They have something the following weekend. So, I don't know. I don't know how that's going to work. Lord, we need our certificate of occupancy is really all I'm trying to say. Um, We are probably uh, not going to have our grand opening uh, until the fall. Therefore, we're going to open up to the community after we get all our bugs worked out and we get everything completed. But for as a family, we will be in very quickly. Uh, So I want to set some expectations on what that's going to look like. Construction will not be done when we move in. There's a lot more going on. There's a lot more stuff that needs to happen. As a matter of fact, we're going to be playing church in a box for a little while. And what that means is, is I don't know if you've ever been part of a church plant where there's set up and tear down and there's rented stuff. Okay, that's what we're going to be like. Just a big one of those. So we will have a rented in sound system. We will not have our lighting up. As you notice, we're breaking down all the lighting here. That's why it changes the atmosphere of how things look. And I can actually see the back row. All right. So I am preaching to you just so you're aware. All right. Uh, The other thing is after second service on Sundays, we will actually be clearing all the chairs out. And then, of course, we'll end up having to reset them because they have lifts all week long doing stuff up in the ceiling. Now, just so you're aware, when you do construction, it causes a lot of dust. If you try to put up your AVLS system, audio, visual, lighting, stage, if you try to put that up while that's going on, it'll wreck it. So even after construction gets done, we have to let that calm down before we can then start by putting up all the speakers and all the lighting gear. So that puts everything out. What I just need from you to know is that it's exciting just walking into a new house. We don't have all our furniture set up. We don't have all the fancy stuff set up. It's just going to be us hanging out together in a pretty amazing brand new location. So I'm excited about that. Uh, A couple other things for you. Yeah, praise God. Um, So two more things on that. Number one is that moving into our new home was far more expensive than we ever imagined. Now, I'm going to be going over all the finances next week. So that's two reasons I need you to be here. Number one, it's our last service in this building. And that's just kind of a fun thing as a family to be able to all be together and thank the Lord. And I love this place. 
I've seen so much transformation, not only in this sanctuary, but across this entire campus. When I picture church, I picture this. And so even though we have wonderful things that are coming up in a beautiful new sanctuary, I want to thank the Lord and make sure that he knows that we don't take this for granted. It has been wonderful to be here. All right. So I would love for our family to be here. If you can be here, I'd love that. I know it's Memorial Day weekend. We got a lot going on on that weekend, but I would love for you to be here. The other thing is I need you to be here for the financial discussion. We have always treated everything like a family. We've always tried to let you know what we know. And now it's time to be able to go over all the practical numbers. Uh, What that's going to mean is you need to be praying all this week. Lord, are you going to try to tell me something about stuff financially? Because we as a family have to talk about some pretty tough stuff financially. And so we'll have that discussion. I'd rather you have a prepped heart before you arrive so that it's not a surprise to you. All right. Uh, And also that means that it's probably a terrible weekend to invite your neighbor. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because then it always works out that way. Right. Uncle Bob comes from the East Coast. And sure enough, the church is talking about finance. You're like, great. (laughs) Happens every time. All right. I'm giving you a warning right there. All right. Uh, But we're still going to be in our uh, series. Last thing, there have been a whole bunch of folks that have just been killing it, moving stuff out. We already cleared out one whole building. We now have been clearing out this one. People have been moving things and, and breaking their backs to get it all done. And I would just like to thank them as a congregation. Can we just appreciate them? Kent Slangstrom and his team have been absolutely over the top. Uh, not only has he been a wonderful leader, his, his attitude is phenomenal. Makes me look like a sinner. So uh, he's just a great, great man, and he's done a wonderful job for us. Here's what we need. We are going to be moving out after, immediately after next Sunday's services. We need a lot, we need everybody to really show up that day, the next day, and the next day, because we cannot leave anything here after the 31st. We got to be out of here. Otherwise, it triggers off a whole new month's worth of rent. We can't do that. So we need to make sure that all of you that are able bodied right now, here's the funny thing. We're going to be moving heavy stuff, but I have noticed that women in this church go to the gym. And what I have noticed is that uh, the majority of you can out bench me. All right. Is that you're stronger than I am. I'm just going to tell you that right now. So the whole idea, this is only a dude thing is not correct. Uh, if you feel like this is something you would like to participate in and you'd like to help us move, uh, out in the community hall, uh, excuse me, out in the, uh, lobby, we have a connection center. We need you all to sign up for what slot you can help out at. That is the 29th Sunday, 30th Monday, which is Memorial day. And then Tuesday, the 31st, we have to get everything in this building out and into the new building so there's a bunch of different shifts there's a lot of things that'll work with your schedule so if you could just make sure to sign up i'll give you a reminder at the end of the message to sign up for that but we really really need you because we got to move out pretty quickly all right all right what i would like to do is i'd like to pray for this entire process would you just pray along with me heavenly father you're good You're wonderful. And Lord, we are spoiled and it is awesome. And Lord, we are not complaining or grumbling in the least. We feel like you have lavished your love upon us. The idea that we have a new home, 
the idea that we can walk into a new campus, Lord, the way that you have made things happen. Lord, to be honest, you lured us into this process. Had we known now, back then, we would have never done it. And yet, God, you have been providing all along. Lord, there's been challenges and there's been the miraculous. And I just praise you for that, Lord. I praise you in the good times and the tough times. I praise you in the exciting times and the mundane times. And so we as a family just want to thank you for this place. Would you watch over the move teams? Would you watch over all of us that are involved in that? God, we don't need hurt backs. We don't need hurt shoulders. We just ask that you would give us angelic help that would help move boxes too. Lord, we ask that you would just bring in uh, your power and your encouragement. Lord, that we'd be able to laugh the whole time being together enjoying the time making it something bonding and fun and so lord i pray that you would cover this place cover the new place spirit set up your camp there that you might welcome us in god you are wonderful and a good good father in jesus name we pray amen amen yeah All right, let's change gears. We're going to be uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes today. Can you take out your Bible? If you don't have one, there's one under the seat in front of you. We are in a series, part five of a series called God Meets World. And I have uh, some deeper thoughts that I would like to dive into. We're going to be reading perhaps the most famous passage of this book, uh, a passage that most all of you would know. If you do not know it, because you are Bible readers, you would know it because of the band, The Birds. Now, why? It's the in everything, turn, turn, turn. You remember that? There is a season, all right? And it says, a time to write. My daughter said, Dad, you need to sing the song for him. I said, I said, I said, no, no, dear, you have no discernment. That's actually what I said. So, no, I'm not going to be singing this song, but y'all know the song, right? I mean, that, that all came from here, and, that, and it ended up getting really, really popular. And so you are familiar with that everything has a season. We're going to be going through that, and I would like to dive underneath and talk a little bit about what I think that God is doing through this book in our midst and some things that he should uh, be able to share with us. If you are looking for the book of Ecclesiastes, it's page 554 kind of hard to find it's right around the proverbs and psalms area all right but i want to begin with these thoughts and then ultimately i'll get to the fill in the blank that is on the sheet that was handed to you as you walked in i cannot think of a time in history that we have been more divorced from nature i cannot think of a more absent from nature place than modern day europe or modern day america there are many societies in the world that still engage in a very agricultural society. We happen to be very advanced. But what's the problem with that is that nature reflects God far more than an industrial, technological, and information-driven world. Nature is closer to God's original design than the designs of his people. Why? It's merely one generation out. So God makes us and the world around us, and then we end up, because we're in his image, we make stuff, which is great and fine and wonderful. But if we're going to try to get the master's heart, if we're going to try to get his intentions, if we're going to try to get his design, 
we have to shift back one and look what he originally made. Now, if we're going to be talking about nature, I'm probably the last person that should be talking about it. All right. And, and here's why I have zero contact with nature. All right. I move from one biodome to another biodome. You understand what I mean? Uh, this is kind of how my life is. I go from my little temperature controlled environment at home. I get in my little vehicle and then I drive over shielding myself, keeping the windows up from all nature. I then go over into the buildings and I hurriedly run in and stay in that biodome. And then I reverse the process going home. Thank the Lord there's drive throughs to where I don't have to actually get out of the car, right? I can just simply roll down my window and not a lot of nature gets in there, right? Between me and Carl Jr. And so, you know, you understand what I'm saying? I, I went to the dermatologist recently to get some moles removed, of which you don't need to know. But anyway, uh, the dermatologist looked and, they, and she said, uh, do you wear sunscreen? I said, why? Wouldn't, to wear sunscreen, wouldn't one have to come in contact with the sun, right? Which is a fair question, I thought. Uh, she said, well, some studies say that fluorescent lighting does the same thing. And I was like, oh, I'm in trouble. All right. So here's the thing. I'm not Mr. Nature. I get it. Some of you have actually engaged with nature. I appreciate that. So everything I say that I read in a book, you're going to go, yeah, I was there. <laughs> it's it's going to be an amazing message for you. All right. So I want to talk a little bit about nature, primarily highlighting three things that I believe are going to be critical for our subject matter, as well as reveal the nature of God. So let's kind of go through those. If you're interested in taking notes, this is a great time to do that. We got some blank space on your page and there's a pen, the seat in front of you. You can grab that. I'm going to mention three things. Number one, nature is cyclical. Nature is cyclical. It is so organized, it is so systematic, it is so cyclical that there was actually an argument prior in history where some people said that God is the great watchmaker. He designed this finely tuned system and then left, meaning they're seeing that our universe is so organized. Why does God even have to be here at all? And that was a big argument. Well, no, no, no. He designed it. He put it perfect. He finally tuned it. It's brilliant and amazing. So now he just kind of chills out and sits back and lets it go. That's how organized our universe is. Now, we do not believe that. I do not believe that. I believe that although it is brilliantly systematic, I believe God is intimately involved in the process. I believe that he is involved in all things. The Bible even talks about where do the deer get their food? And it talks about God's the one that feeds them. I mean, the whole idea of when does it rain? When does it not? And God is so involved in all of this process. I believe very strongly in the sovereignty of God. But make no mistake, he built something rather incredible. And cycles go over and over and over one element of study of nature fascinates me. Now, I'm not intelligent enough to actually study it. I just look at it and go, wow. It is the concept of chaotic mathematics. Chaotic mathematics is blends together two different concepts. One of them is called the butterfly effect. The butterfly effect is simply uh, a concept that came up from an article written in 1972 by a guy named Edward Lorenz. The title was, he wrote this article, Does the Flap of a Butterfly's Wings in Brazil Set Off a Tornado in Texas? 
And what he was explaining was even the most slight movements in a highly integrated biosphere sends ramifications all over the place. Even one little butterfly doing this changes the wind patterns all the way across the world. As he began to write this stuff out, people began to learn about it and learn about it, and they began to add to it. So it takes the butterfly effect, and it combines it with the idea that it's so complex in our universe, we might not be able to track on the pattern, but that doesn't mean it's not a pattern. Let's say, for example, there's a pattern that shows up every 32,000 years. How would you even know that? You understand what I mean? There's no data for that. There's no way to understand that. You wouldn't have any way of comprehending that. So it is a pattern, but it looks random because it just shows up. And you're like, oh, where did that come from? The reason why I love this concept so much is because it speaks about the nature of the God that I love. Our God is that brilliant. Our God is that infinitely creative. Our God is that high level. His intelligence is so extreme that he has all types of organizational systems we wouldn't even be able to figure out, even if we had all the time in the world. He's got all kinds of complicated things happening around us, so they seem random to us, but they are not. However, we are Christians, and we believe in miracles. Now, the most strict, limited definition of miracle means an anomaly. It is a violation of those systems. It is when God does a break-in. It's when God says, yeah, I normally do it like that. You're right, but I'm not doing it like that this time. I'm going to alter how the universe normally works for my purposes. That really happens. Now, a lot of things that are beautiful and bizarre that we call miracles are not really miracles. They're really, they're really just patterns we can't pick up on and stuff like that. And there's different things that God does. But there are real miracles in the strictest sense of the word. For example, the virgin birth. That's not a pattern. There's not a bunch of virgins waiting in the future to bring in the Son of God. You understand what I mean? That's not going to repeat. That's not going to happen again. That was an anomaly. God then said, normally I make babies like this, and normally the babies are like this, but I'm going to break that entire system. I'm going to do it a completely different way, and I'm going to bring in a child that is fully God and fully man into the world. That's extraordinary. That is a miracle, no matter how you want to look at it. The last thing, number three, excuse me, number two, which by necessity is not the last thing. I'm not very good at this preaching thing. Very new, very new to me. Uh, number two, nature is slow. Nature is slow. Uh, my favorite analogy and the thing that comes to mind most quickly is the smooth rocks underneath a waterfall. Uh, that always fascinates me. I don't know why, but imagine this is that if you went out into your yard and grabbed a jagged rock and just hold it under the faucet for a little while. I think at some point you're going to kind of give up, right? You're going, I'm not seeing anything. Okay, God is so patient, he'll hold it there for thousands of years. And he'll go watch this rock be eroded away by something as soft as water. Our God works on his own timetables. Nature that he created is very slow. 
it, does that matter to us? It matters a lot. Why? Because you can't fast cook transformation or maturity. Right? And that's exactly what we want. Our, we are of increasing tension the faster our society gets. Our society is so amped to having everything fast. It's got to be tailored and it's got to be fast. I realized how much I have been altered by this when silly things frustrate me because they're taking too long. Let me give you an analogy. Recently, I was in a bathroom stall. Wait. And I'm trying to get out the stupid seat cover. And I can't get the seat cover out because it keeps breaking off because it was a new pack and it was all jammed up in there. The idea I had to wait and keep fighting with the stupid seat cover thing frustrated me. I thought, something's wrong with me. Inherently, I'm broken, <laughs> right? Because if I'm frustrated by red lights, if I'm frustrated by seat covers, okay, something about our culture is messing with my head. Because everything has to, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, right? And the whole time, we do that to God. God, you are taking too long. He said, I'm sorry, compared to what? What are you talking about, right? Oh, Lord, I've been, we have been spinning my wheels for three years. Did you say three years? <laughs> oh, I thought you said 30,000 years. Oh, you said three years. Really? You're already upset, and it's only been three years. Man, I don't work like you. That's not how I do things. God doesn't work like we work. He is not on our timetables. He is not in a hurry. And he's not interested in efficiency as much as he's interested in effectiveness. He knows how to get stuff done. We know how to do it fast. There's a big difference there. The sad thing is, is when he doesn't operate according to our times tables, we get angry at him and our hearts get hard towards him and we get bitter towards him. That is unfair. He never told us he would be interested in our timetables. He's not interested in speeding up because we're speeding up. Right? Number three, and lastly, <laughs> nature is harsh sometimes. Would you agree with that? Nature is harsh sometimes. Perhaps no other element about nature really offends the modern day American than the harshness of it, whether it's a hurricane or a tsunami and all these people died and then this came in, the tornado, it seems so random. How could that come in and wreck Branson, Missouri? Whatever it is, there's all these different things that just, it, it's hard on our heart. We don't understand what to do with it. And so scientists say stuff like, well, mother nature has no concern for anybody and they make it very impersonal. I don't, I don't believe that. I believe that God does know about all that stuff. I think that God does uh, understand how it all works, and it's his systems that created that stuff. I, I get that. And you go, well, that, that can't be. We don't like associating that with God. But have you ever read the Old Testament? The Old Testament has a God that doesn't really fit your buddy Jesus system, right? There's stuff in there that God allows and seems to do that are brutal, unfeeling and downright mean in our opinion but does that mean it's true is it really mean actually it's not just because you think it's true doesn't make it true god's nature is good all the way through if anything offends you in scripture it means you don't know god very well and that happens to me a lot where i'm reading something and i go really lord that's what you're what i don't even know how to wrap my mind around that that's messed up right and he's going you don't know me but we know this, 
if we saw it from his perspective, we would get it. Remember, C.S. Lewis said the most popular word on the first day of heaven will be, aha, right? Then you'll finally get it and you'll go, I understand now. God built a world for us to live in with rhythms of life built into them, teachers for us. As much as we have marred his system, as much as we have not done a good job with dominion and we've done a much more destruction, we can still see the teachers he left for us, designs for us, engages to us through all the way around us. I think it would do well for us to stop for a moment today and consider those teachers in nature and the rhythms of life. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. Rhythms of life are natural and good. Rhythms of life are natural and they are good. Two quick disclaimers, then we'll dive right into the word. The first one is this. Remember that Ecclesiastes is a wisdom book, just like Proverbs. It is not a preaching book. It is not a book that's trying to say, you need to apply this just like I told you right here. That's not what it is. Wisdom books give you probabilities, not promises. They say that if everything is equal, this is what's going to occur. It does not say whether it's good or bad a lot of the time. It doesn't make moral judgments a lot of the time. It simply says this is how it is. If we mess this up in our minds, then we're going to do a little devotion in Ecclesiastes. And it says there's a time to love and a time to hate. And we're going to go, well, I hate you because God said it's okay. Okay, do you understand how we need to be, make sure what genre we're reading? The second disclaimer is this. Normally, I read Ecclesiastes. I let the depressing book be depressing. And then I go, yeah, but Jesus said, and we all go, yeah, right at the end. Well, this time, because it's talking about cycles of nature, I'm going to integrate Jesus throughout. And I think that we can have it a bit more streamlined as opposed to chunky. All right. Make sense. All right. Let's dive into Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse one. It begins with just this sentence that has three massive points that get us on track. It begins like this for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Did you see it? We are now on the right page. Why? Because it just said three powerful things. Number one, for everything there is a season. What does that mean? It means a duration, a length, a fixed time, a predetermined purpose. You may not know the purpose. You may not agree with the purpose, but there is a purpose. For everything, there is a set time for it. That's one of the concepts of the cycles of nature is that it begins like this and it doesn't always look like that. The reason why this is important for us to own and understand in our hearts is because sometimes we think we are now in our new normal. Give you an example. Let's say you had traumatic loss. Someone in your life passed away. That is terribly difficult. And you think, if I have to feel like this forever, I'm not going to make it. But you won't. Why? Because there is a duration for that. Now, although you will have the scars and you will still have the distant memories and you'll still have pangs of pain, you will not feel the way that you do right now. It will pass and you will enter into a new place. 
I remember talking to my counselor one time about the panic stuff and the panic disorders. It was when it was really, really bad. And she was trying to talk to me a little bit about staying in the moment as opposed to just trying to numb out or run away or escape or whatever. And I said, well, I'll just tell you right now, I couldn't handle that. I could not remain in that place. It was, it's so tormenting, you can't stay in that place. And she said, no, 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 I don't think you understand. Let's picture it like this. She said, you remember when you were a little kid and you would go to the ocean and it was way too cold for the adults, right? And you would run in and you would just completely lock up and freeze because you were just, you know, all of a sudden all the goosebumps would hit and you'd start shaking. You as a kid would stay in the water and your body would acclimate. And eventually you're just playing around and it's not a big deal anymore. You don't notice it, although your teeth are still chattering, right? But the idea was there was an acclimation to the new environment. Your body spun through. You didn't always feel that bitter cold. It shifted on you. This is the kind of stuff that it's talking about. There is a time. The other thing it says, uh, excuse me, there's a season. The second thing it says, for everything there's a season and a kairos. It's not chronos. In the Septuagint, it's not chronos. It's not what time is it on my watch. It is, we had a great time, right? It's this moment in time that has meaning to it. So once again, it imports this idea of meaning into what occurs in our world. And then the third thing that's important to understand is it says, for every matter under heaven. Now that's different because he's going to say another phrase a lot. And he usually says, under the what? Sun. But this time he changes it. And when I told you before that he said all is vanity under the sun, I was telling you that he was talking about here on earth from a humanistic point of view, take God out of the mix and man, nothing matters. Not under the sun, but now he says under heaven. Why is that different? Because heaven's the dwelling place of God. Therefore, if you mention heaven, it's God watching over his creation. We are now talking about a system under his rule. In that place, there is a duration. In that place, there is meaning in a time. And that sets us up for the rest of what we will read. There is a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. There are seasons of gaining and loss. I don't want to get into a predestination versus free will argument with you. I don't want to dive into Romans and do that whole thing today. We don't have that kind of time. But can we all agree on this premise? Nothing catches God off guard. Yes? No, there's no point in which God did not know that was coming. So without getting into all the weeds, let's just say that. God knows it. God gets it. So let's talk about birth and death. Psalm 139.16 says, All the days ordained for me were written in your book. God knows your limited time on this earth. Every one of us have limited time on this earth. How do we know that? Because so far, other than two dudes, everyone has died. That's pretty good stats to go off of. So we know all of us will pass away unless we're here when Jesus Christ comes. How long we are here is the differentiating factor. Some of us are here for a long time. Some of us are here for a relatively short time. What makes the difference in there? Let me be very clear on one piece. 
the difference of length of time on this planet speaks nothing of the love of God, but only to his purposes. Let me say that again. How long you have here does not reflect his love, but what he's trying to accomplish. You go, well, is that really true? Well, hold on. I think we could get into a good debate with each other about what's more loving, leaving us here or taking us away. You understand what I'm saying? So I don't even want to get into that. But I do want to say that many times we attach someone leaving this place. God must not love. Stop it. That's not at all in play. Merely purposes. What is he trying to accomplish? What was the point? And only God knows that alone. We have to trust him on that. In talking about nature, there's a couple things that I find are fascinating. And so I went out and I started looking up a bunch of research. And a lot of it got stimulated because a buddy of mine, uh, Banning Liebscher of Jesus Culture, he wrote a book called Rooted recently. It had a little tree on it. And it's, it's nothing fancy, but it's this beautiful book of just simple discipleship. We need to be rooted in Christ and abiding in him. And we need to grow as he grows us. I mean, it's, it's such a, a, a basic, hardcore book on discipleship. And I thought, it was, I thought it was super cool. But he said a couple interesting things that it's not like we don't know him. We just need to be reminded. Here's what he said. Fruit comes at the end of a very long process. Just let that one soak in for a second. Just think nature-wise. How much stuff has to actually occur before you get the little apple off the tree? You know what I mean? I mean, that's forever, right? I mean, you got to go from the little seed, and then you got to go through the whole growing, and then you got to go to big enough to where you're fruit producing. And then, in other words, God has to have stuff in the hopper way back here in order to get anything out of that. Fruit comes at the end of a very long process, a very complicated process. So let's talk a little bit about how stuff grows. I went through and I started doing all this research and anything online I was looking at, I always put four kids because I was like, I'm not going to understand whatever the adults are going to say. So I'm going to go ahead and look at all the kids websites. And so I'm, I began to learn all this stuff. And it's not like you don't know this, but check this out. The way things grow, like plants and trees, is that a seed is put into the ground, it's watered, then the seed breaks open, and then it puts down roots. Do you understand that a seed goes down before it goes up? I didn't even bother thinking about that. It goes down before it goes up, then it breaks upward through the ground to get air and sunlight. The other thing I did not know is that the little seed has a prepackaged storage system. As a matter of fact, it's very similar to a baby in the womb. This website I was looking at actually referred to the little seed as an embryo, which I thought was a trip. That in there, it's packed with all its little nutrients that it gets to hang out with for a while. But ultimately, that storage is going to go away and he's got to start making his own stuff. So he has to somehow break out of the ground and begin to get some rain water. If there's no water table, he has to somehow get sunlight and then the photosynthesis occurs and he can start doing his own thing. And you go, what is the point of all this? To me, it sounds just like baby Christians. All of a sudden, God rescues you and saves you, and he gives you this protective little bubble 
where you go, I feel so forgiven. I feel like I'm cleansed. I, I did, maybe didn't have a big, fancy, exciting, wow moment. But man, right now I get it. And I don't care about the world. I just walked out of the world. And now I'm coming into the kingdom. And I'm excited about it. I love it. I'm, I, I, Jesus, I feel your love. Everything's awesome. And then one day you suddenly feel abandoned. Everything just shuts off. And you're like, hey, what happened? And he's like, you've got to get your own stuff now. Is that mean to the seed or is that just encouraging the seed that it's time to grow up? So you've got to break out of the ground and he's going, listen, I already gave you a whole bunch of stuff to get you started, but I want you to be able to stand on your own. I want you to get stronger. I want you to grow. I want you to be with me and I want to move through you and not just do everything to you. That's a beautiful sign of growth. So then I'm start looking at roots, right? Because roots are this big deal. They anchor the plant. They get all that stuff. How do we get deeper roots? So I look at it and I found out really there's three things that roots need. They need water, they need oxygen, and they need room to keep growing. I found out on these websites the number one reason why trees' roots don't keep going is hard pan. Y'all know what hard pan is? Hard pan, that's dirt that is so hard you're not getting through it. So either the tree will go horizontal with its roots or it just stops. I find this powerful. Is it possible that the reason why our growth ever is stunted in our Christian life is because of hard hearts? God's got nowhere else to grow. You shut him off. Right? I mean, these are powerful insights to me. So in other words, conditions matter. For plants and in nature, temperature matters, water matters. All that stuff with the moisture and the oxygen and the sunlight and all that. All the conditions matter. So let me ask you this big question. What does a Christian need? What are the conditions for it to grow? You and I have no idea. Well, God, I don't like where I'm at. What are you talking about? Well, this is not helpful. You sure? Do you have any idea what you're growing into? Here's what's fascinating to me. Ephesians 2.10 says that God created us in christ jesus to do good works which he prepared in advance for us to do that means he knows what kind of tree we are that means he knows what kind of fruit he wants so he knows what kind of soil conditions we need in order to build what he wants do you know that i don't know that so why are we making judgment on our life about whether it's good or bad right or wrong we have no idea what we're talking about let the master be able to determine and decide if you're in the right soil or not. God, I, everything's frustrating. I'm, I'm surrounded by people that don't understand me. I'm, I'm constantly being persecuted. Do you understand that there was a time and there has been times ever since that God has grown his church through persecution? He knows the soil conditions. We've got to trust him. He's good at this stuff. It says that there's a time for building up and a time for breaking down. I've shared this with you before, so I'll make it quick. Do you know that everything in our body, all of our systems operate on the same concept? Whether it's uh, muscles, EMGs, whether it's EKGs, whether it's our heart or our brain or whatever it is, we all work on the same concept. It is the rhythm of our bodies, which is stress and rest, stress and rest. It's what you hear in the hospital room of deep, 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 deep. What that is, is stress points go up 
and then there's a trough of rest and there's a stress point that hits and it rests down. We are not to live in a flat line. We are always in this tension of stressing, of pushing, of working, of advancing, and then we've got to pull back. We've got to restore. We've got to rest. We have to have that. If there's too much stress, we crack. If there's too much rest, we die. We cannot have either one. That we live in this beautiful rhythm, just like the nature around us. God built that. And we keep trying to alter it. We cannot do that. Verse 4. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance it's interesting in that couplet of which hopefully you've noticed that we're in a poem there's seven sets of couplets that makes it 14 seven is the number of perfection he did that on purpose the hebrew author said seven is god's number i'm talking about the totality of the universe but here this couplet what does that all tie together some of our engagements are public and some of them are private Sometimes we cry all alone and sometimes we cry out loud. Sometimes we smile inside and sometimes we just got to dance on the outside. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Scholars are very lost as to what all these terms mean. But ultimately what we have is the idea that there's times to bond and a time to let go. What's the point? Purposefulness. Verse 6. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. These are all about finding and losing and keeping and letting go. And One of the most brilliant insights I've heard recently on this came from Caleb Cole from Project Church. I was in a a pastor's group where I was leading a bunch of young guys and, and Caleb was one of them and he was doing the devotion that day and he shared something. He said, he said, the way I see it, all institutions, all ministries and all people cycle through one of three seasons. At all times, you're in one of these three seasons. Here's what he said. He said, number one, there's an expanding season. That's when you're getting bigger. That is this fruit bearing, this uh, man, it's awesome, it's really going gangbusters. That's a season. Then there's a season where you're improving, you're getting better, your processes are adjusting. Then there's a season where you're refueling, where you're getting stronger, spiritual development, rest, stuff like that. He said the reason why it's important to know that you're in one of these three is that you don't stress out to try to get to the next season. Just let the season be the season. Maximize it. Don't long for something else. Don't rip off God's glory when you're in the other seasons. Because why? Everybody wants to be in the getting bigger season. Everyone wants to be in the fruit bearing season. That's not how it works. Man, I want to, as a church, as an organization, as an organism, as a family, I love the seasons where everything is going awesome and we're exploding with fruitfulness. But that's not how nature works. There are times when the land must go dormant. There's times when it must rest. There's times that it must regenerate. If we do not ever take the time to solve our systems and solve what's underground all it does is keep falling over 
Because our foundations have to be solid. Our roots have to be solid. When are we building those? You all know that if you build a skyscraper, you got to go way down in the ground to lock down some footing so that thing's not going to topple over. When is God building that? But all we do is say, God, how come nothing's coming in my life? How come it's not working? How come it's not easy? How come we're not advancing? And he's going, hold on. That's not how it works. Give me time, man. I'm working through the patterns. Do you want to be healthy or not? I'm not interested in your efficiency. I'm interested in effectiveness. And I know how to build my people. So cut me some slack. It closes with a time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Is that national or personal? I don't know. What I know is that this world is in tension and it's tumultuous. And simply there's a lot of stuff that's clashing. Is something wrong with it? Kind of. And kind of not. Oh man, something's going on here. And oh, it's going like, oh, this is going to fall apart. It's been the case since the beginning. No man, it's worse now. Is it? Because I think that according to scripture, Adam and Eve had two boys. One of them killed the other. That's 50% of the world just got wiped out. You know what I'm saying? I mean, technically it's 25%. You're like, you're terrible at math. Okay, <laughs> you guys, it's just an analogy. <laughs> I'm moving on. It would do us well to remember to partner with God's rhythms. We are on God's timing, his agenda, and his plan. He is not moved by our cultures, our fads, or our quote-unquote advancements. He does things not for efficiency, but for effectiveness. And the more we align with his ways, the more life seems to make sense. Could I invite the prayer team up here? As we close out, prayer team, can you come on up here? I don't know what season you're in or how you arrived today. Pastor Brian referred to it a little earlier. I don't know what season you're in. Maybe you're in a season where you need someone else to carry the burden for a little bit. Maybe you're in the type of season where you're feeling awesome and you're like, yeah, I'm good to go. Where's brunch? That's awesome. I love that. But sometimes our bodies are hurting. Sometimes our spirits are hurting. Sometimes our relationships are hurting and you need someone to pray with. That's why they're here. I want to remind you before we close out that next weekend is a special weekend. And I would like you all to be there with me. I want you to make sure that you help us move. So by all means, sign up out in the lobby. And I'll tell you what, you know what's super fun about getting baptized? It's coming up out of that water and having your family around you clapping for you. So we will see you about 1245. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good. Heavenly Father, you are right. And if we knew what you knew, Lord, we would agree with every decision that you make. Right now, we submit our life to you, understanding we are not in a season that we like, or maybe we are, but there's more to it. This is not the new normal. It's just another cycle. God, you know how to restore us. You know how to heal us. You know how to fix us. You know how to put us into dormancy. You know how to tell us to chill out. You know how to put on the brakes. We just want to say to you, Holy Spirit, today, yes. 
Whatever your plan is, we agree. Be glorified in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful week and we'll see you at 1245.